How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Really, it's kind of at the heart of life. <laughs> you yes. know, I mean, eating is such an integral part of, of living and being a human being that I think a lot of times we have a lot of issues around food that we don't necessarily recognize. You know, they're not like on the surface of our awareness until we get to the point where we struggle with um, weight or eating disorders. I think that's when those things kind of kind of come to a head. Yeah. But I don't think that people who struggle with weight or eating disorders are the only people that need to address their food issues. I think we all have food issues. Welcome to the podcast. What you just heard is a quote from one of today's experts on the show, Stephanie Webb of Eat Happy Nutrition. I will give her a better introduction along with our other expert uh, for today's episode in a few minutes, but that's just a taste of what we will be talking about today. But first, it's been so nice to hear from you, whether you comment on my blog posts or direct message me on Instagram or Facebook or email me. I love the community we are building here. I love how you are spreading the word about this podcast. So many of you really resonated with last week's episode with Lizzie Jensen. She shared a lot about how to find your own unique mission in life, among many other great and powerful things. If you haven't had a moment to listen to her episode, I've included the link to it in my show notes, which you can find on my website, aboutprogress.com. You can also find more about me on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress, and you can email me at packerprogress at gmail.com. Some personal news since this is our informal um, episode of the month. It's, um, it's about me. If you follow me on Instagram, then you know that we are very blessed to be expecting our fourth child, and I am currently 17 weeks along, so I don't know what we are having yet, but I'm just so grateful to be pregnant and to be feeling so much better. If there is any sign that this podcast is supposed to be around, it's the fact that I was able to barely squeeze out an episode each week all summer long when I could barely get myself off of the couch. And I really mean that. So knowing that those pod those podcast episodes still happened makes me know that this is supposed to continue because each one of those episodes felt like a miracle to me. So thank you for those who have celebrated our news with us. And I will keep you updated on how things are going on my Instagram account if you're interested. And again, that's about progress. Second, I'm thrilled to tell you a few great things about the podcast. 
Our iTunes reviews are now at 47. And last week I gave a special plea to ask you to leave a review and you responded. I was so overwhelmed to see how much we shot up in the reviews and my goal is 50 by November. And because of you, we will for sure hit that. So thanks for doing that. And if you haven't, go ahead and take a moment to do that by searching for About Progress um, through your app or on your desktop on iTunes. Also about the podcast, word has been spreading. This past month, August, we've had over 44,000 downloads. And for me, this came out of nowhere. It has completely overwhelmed me um, with gratitude because the summer I felt a large part of it feeling discouraged. My interviewees were awesome and I love what they said and what they shared, but the numbers weren't meeting my expectations. And I wished so badly that more could hear what people were saying in our chats together because they were changing my life and I wanted others to take part too. And for whatever reason, this was the month that it happened. I don't think these numbers are permanent. It's just been a really good month and I'm expecting it to ebb and flow because that's how growth goes. So thank you for joining in with that and, and for helping make that happen. This podcast has taken me countless hours to produce the last nine and a half months. It's also taken money out of my own pocket, which I have willingly given and, and known that would be part of the process. I haven't received a cent for doing this, but I do hope to in time at least cover my costs. So I've been worried and stressed about it more times than I care to admit, but this podcast has given so much back to me, more than money or acclaim or numbers ever could. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's changed my life and I feel very much called to do this. So whether it's 100 listeners or 40,000, thank you for allowing me the space and for taking part in it all. Now let's move on to today's episode. It's our special monthly episode where I talk about something that has been on my mind and we have a do something highlight at the end. Occasionally I have experts on as part of the topic of choice and today's episode really needed that. We are going to be talking about food, how to use it, not abuse it. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. Because this is a part of a series of things we tend to fall into abusing, whether accidentally or I don't know if people do (laughs) fall into abusing things purposefully, but you get what I mean. We've done episodes with the similar theme on technology and fitness as well. Um, You can find those on my website aboutprogress.com and click on podcast at the top and you'll be able to see those. Today's topic, food called for so much information. So I actually decided to split it up into two parts. Part one is today and part two will air at the end of next month. So today we will be talking primarily about what it looks like to be abusing food and the why behind changing our use of it, meaning why why try. Um, and next month's part two, we'll be talking more about the how to change specifically focusing on intuitive eating with two experts on that as well. I'm really looking forward to that one airing too. So just know there's more to this. If you're, if you're like wondering, well, is she going to give us some tips? Um, that will be coming. 
Today's episode has two experts. The first is Stephanie Webb, who you heard at the beginning of this episode from Eat Happy Nutrition. She is a holistic nutritionist and an eating coach. The second is Elizabeth Dahl, an exercise physiologist and wellness coach. I have linked to both of these amazing women's websites and Instagram Instagram accounts. They are so knowledgeable. They've helped so many people and are well worth a follow. They also have some free materials and courses that you should check out on their websites. This episode will mostly uh, have Stephanie on it. Elizabeth, there will be a little bit, but next month, Elizabeth will be more of the center there. So shall we dive into this very complicated topic? It's, it's, it's a hard one, just like the others were too. So just like those other episodes, I want to make it very clear that I am not the expert on this topic, nor am I one who practices um, how to fix it perfectly or even close to perfect at times. Um, That's why I elicit real experts. So my thoughts are backed up and to get more resources for all of us that I don't even know about that I can't even come up with. If you're new here, you might not know that a big part of my history as a struggling perfectionist is uh, struggling with eating disorders. So while perfectionism reigned in all areas of my life 11 years ago, I hit the peak of my own big struggles with eating disorders. I can say with full honesty and no drama that it almost took my life literally and it did take my life figuratively. It really did. It robbed me of so much. Um, I was completely a shell of a human being. And the desperation I experienced then and off and on for the many years of recovery that followed was very deep and often terrifying. So it is. it has been 11 years, like I said. So I have, I have grown so, so much. I am worlds better. But I also have lots of room to improve. So if you want to hear more about this time in my life in depth, I I do want to um, lead you to listen to the introductory episode of this podcast. It's the very first episode I ever aired. Um, And then it's short, like 17 minutes, although it took me like 20 hours to produce. Um, And I also did an interview with the Extraordinary Moms podcast uh, that we touched on this. And the most recent podcast interview I did was for the Life Beats project on this topic. We really, really talk about it. So I've linked to all of those episodes in the show notes for you as well that you can find on my website. And just a little side note, Brianna from the Life Beats project, she recently highlighted me as one of the five most influential podcast interviews she has had on her show. And that was such an honor, like a huge, huge honor for me. And So if you want to hear more about that, I highly recommend checking that episode out, especially. So let's talk about what it might look like to be abusing food. Oh, there are so many ways, right? Um, Another way to describe having an abusive relationship with food could be the one that we often hear, quote unquote, emotional eating. It can also be described as... um, a relationship on food based on fear or deprivation or a lot of obsessive thinking about it. Even if you might not have bad behaviors of overeating or undereating, um, if you're obsessively thinking about food um, and worrying about it, stewing over it, um, or just, I don't know, just waiting for your next escape, that is totally 
abusing your relationship with food. I want to um, hear from our experts about what they say qualifies as an unhealthy relationship with food. So let's start, let's start with Elizabeth. Yeah, so one of the, probably the number one thing that people struggle with in their relationship with food is feeling out of control with it. So they're either out of control with all of it, where they tend to overeat or even undereat, or they feel out of control with certain kinds of foods. So maybe one person is triggered by sweets and another person is triggered by chips and they end up eating the whole bag and feel that like, that guilt afterwards because they didn't feel like they had any control over it. Hmm. A lot of times these people also struggle with like their own body image, their goals, like their confidence in being able to accomplish other things. It kind of goes hand in hand with that harsh relationship with food. So would you say there's a lot of fear associated with food, maybe even just certain types or maybe even food in general with someone who has a bad relationship with it? Yes, definitely. So a lot of people really struggle when there's events, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. always holidays and events and they go, well, what do I do when I'm there? Because there's always so much food and there's usually a lot of junk food at those sorts of things. And so it's true. A lot of people get afraid because they don't know what to do when they're actually in that situation. Wasn't that a great description of the many different ways it can look like? I think fear is absolutely a common denominator in whatever way you're actually abusing it. If uh, fear is a big part of your relationship with food, that's what we want to work on. So these are all things I am well familiar with. I mean, you know that I spent Um, close to a decade alternating between extreme deprivation coupled with bouts of what eventually became binge eating and then purging through restriction and exercise. So because of that, I have a pretty complicated relationship that I created over time with food. Food is instilled with far more emotional weight than is healthy because of the high stakes I placed upon it for so many years. So this mental and emotional relationship has taken a great deal of time and patience, work, and therapy to improve on. And there have been times where I am great. And there, you know, even the past 10 years, although I'm not like I, I, although I'm not participating in um, necessarily the same behavior I did when I was um, when I was by definition um, in an eating disorder, there have been times where I am great at separating my emotions from food. There have been times where I've used it to numb myself from what I'm experiencing. There have been times where I use it to punish myself, either through restriction or through binging, um, because food can be very a very good weapon against yourself when you don't like yourself. And there are just those days when I'm sad, angry, happy, upset, stressed, excited that I use food as a way to deal with that. And this is all after I quote unquote got over my eating disorder. This is why I'm doing this episode. Because I understand that so many of us know what that feels like. Even if you don't have a bona fide eating disorder, you might know what it is like to experience these abusive cycles with food and the emotional weight it carries. So you don't, you don't have to need formal therapy to get that struggle with abusing food. We all go through cycles of this. So 
Uh, the problem with abusing food either through over or under eating, alternating that or just obsessive thinking is that I think what it really shows us is that there's something much deeper going on underneath that. One thing that Stephanie Webb brought up in our uh, short do something um, highlight that we did in a past episode that I she was so good I had to have her back on. She said on that highlight that she had learned through her training that the way you do food is the way you do life. And I wanted her to come back and explain more about what she meant by that and how someone can start working on identifying the core issues behind um, maybe what they're discovering about their relationship with food and how it reflects a relationship with themselves. So let's turn to Stephanie now. Um, I do think that, like I said, the the way we do food is the way we do life. And the first time I heard that, it was from Mark David, my mentor through the eating psychology program. It like stopped me in my tracks. I was sitting there listening and I just paused and I sat there thinking like, oh my gosh, it's true. (laughs) And I thought about it for weeks and weeks and just kind of molded over in my head. And I really think that the way that we relate to food is a manifestation really of the way that we are showing up or engaging in our life. And and I think this is true of disordered eating behaviors or also um, people who go on lots of diets and, and use food as a place to really control and restrict. Mm-hmm. And we call this a symbolic substitute when you're using food to fill in some sort of emotional gap in yourself, whether you're not getting enough love or affection and you turn to food for that, or you're feeling empty in your life. And so you turn to food to fill you up. Or in a lot of cases, I think food can become a source of a place of, I need to control this because I feel out of control in these other areas. And so I'm going to crack down, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to restrict my calories and that's going to make it better because I can control this. And if I just focus on this, but I think the harm in doing that, and especially in not recognizing that that's what we're doing is that it leads to, again, a kind of funky relationship with food and which starts to spill over again into other areas of life. Isn't she wise? I I just love how she described that and also talked about these cycles that we can so easily fall into, thinking that we're being healthy when really it's just a cycle of being good and then falling off the wagon, then being good, then falling off the wagon, or how others can uh, choose to live in ignorance about nutrition and use food as a numbing tool. And and then again, like she said, the, the bona fide eating disorders too. So any of these qualify as an abusive relationship with food um, when we're using it to replace something or as a fear. So no matter how you do it, relating to food in this way is going to harm you. And it harms you deep to your soul. Stephanie spoke about this, how it hurts our spirits. That hurts our spirits, I think, when we have that relationship with food, because again, it's it's just a manifestation of what's going on inside of ourselves. And so it's really not about the food necessarily. It's about it's about how we relate to the food that I think is more important, which is why I don't believe that we should just go on a diet or that we should, you know, start with the food. I don't with my clients, I don't start with the food necessarily. Um, I think we need to go deeper and figure out, well, why am I choosing these foods? Why am I feeling the need 
to eat emotionally or binge or restrict or, you know, where is that coming from? Uh, so I think that's the first step is really just noticing and being aware and open to the possibility and not being critical of ourselves. So hopefully if you can identify yourself in the different categories we've talked about, you can also see from Stephanie that there is hope and that the first step really is just recognizing that this is a troubled relationship that you have and it's something that you want to work on. Um, Again, we're going to spend a lot of time on the how next month, but I do want to turn a lot of time to Stephanie about um, figuring out the how to start emotionally first. So like the actual tangible hows will be next month with intuitive eating and more of the emotional hows and whys will be the rest of this time. So first, I love what Stephanie told me about how like with any other troubled relationship we can have in our lives, the addictions we might have, we need to know two things. And here's the two things she said. I think we have to get to a place where we just accept that this mm-hmm. is what it is and it's okay. And we, we are not at war with ourselves anymore. We're not fighting and battling our body constantly, whether to lose weight or gain weight or whatever the issue may be. Um, that we just, I think that's the first step for people who want to improve their relationship with food. And that was the first step for me. And that is so much easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> to accept the way things are, we're kind of taught not to do that. You're a whole being you're fine you're fine it's just you have this issue that is trying to teach you something and trying to get you to go deeper so when we just say well I'm going to go on a meal plan or I'm going to meet with a nutritionist and restrict my calories to 1200 calories a day and then I'll be fine that's just a band-aid on a bullet hole basically Mm -hmm. and I think when we go deeper and we recognize something more is going on here that has nothing to do with food really and it's about who I am and and being okay accepting that we have those issues everyone does and then working on them gently and slowly and not expecting like okay I'm gonna lose 50 pounds or I'm gonna whatever the you know those outward goals I think we're doing that inner work is so important in maintaining that happy lifestyle that I think we really all want. So what I got from Stephanie are those two first steps that you need to take first is acceptance, acceptance that you have a problem, but also acceptance of yourself and that that is okay, that you are, you are a human. And the second is to be willing to go deeper, to really dive into what is happening behind this fracture relationship that you have with food. So Without those two things, you can dive into getting like a nutritional new, uh, meals plan or launching to a program of intuitive eating or flexible to dieting that help you uh, get back into a healthy relationship with food, but you'll be missing the foundation. And I think you will find yourself slipping back a lot quicker um, than you would have otherwise. With that acceptance, though, it doesn't mean you throw all the rules out the window that health isn't a part of uh, your life anymore. I mean, that's just negligence. Accepting that you have a problem really is so, so essential to starting to improve your problem. But you also have to not go into overdrive, obsessively thinking about all your rules to fixing the problem then too. Stephanie talks about that. that um, she just words it so well. So let's see what she says. 
I think scientifically, if you had a wound and you were constantly, you know, putting stress on that area, it's not going to heal. I think it's the same thing emotionally. When we are stressing out about whatever issue we're facing, we can't heal. This is a paradox that Stephanie and I talk about how when you let go, the paradox is that you are then empowered to make changes. And I know that seems really weird, but I can totally testify to that fact. The more uh, the past 10 years since I started my recovery, the more obsessed I have been with trying to be rigid about being good and on track and vigilant all the time about just ensuring I'm being um, healthy in body and mind, the more likely I was to binge. So meaning the more worried I was about binging, the more I binged. The more I was stressing about my behaviors around food, the more likely I was to really struggle with it. And instead, the more I let go and relaxed about food in general, um, the easier it was to simply eat healthy and stop when I was full and to not eat emotionally. And the binges faded away, honestly. And I do feel much more relaxed than um, I ever was before about it. And I feel empowered, too, in a very weird way. Now, if you are starting out with a with real eating disorders and getting treatment for that, just know it often does get worse before it gets better. I just want to give people hope on that. If you're in the trenches there, please keep hoping on and keep trying on because it, it does it does get better. It just takes time and so does this. Even if you, you don't um, think that maybe you qualify as an eating disorder, but you definitely have a troubled relationship with food, just know it takes time too. And I've been there in, the, in your shoes too. Just having a normal, a bad relationship with food. I've been there too. And time really does help so much. I want to now, now share what Stephanie said about how to navigate that tricky balance between caring and acceptance. When we are giving all of our power to food, we're, we don't have any more. You know, we're not, we talk about willpower so much, but it is this counterintuitive thing of, when and I've experienced this myself, so I know that it works. When you let go, paradoxically, you step into your power mm-hmm. more than you were before. When you when you accept that this is who I am and this is the life I have, and I don't want to use food to try to fix things anymore. I think it's just like this deep breath of mm-hmm. okay, I can relax into this, and once we relax. That's where the power is. And so I think it's really important to find that balance of, of freedom and structure. And, and that is hard. That is the hardest thing we can do. And I think it's a lifelong journey. I'm not going to sit here and say, I've checked that box. Like, mm-hmm. like, I'm good to go. But I think it's something that we have to continuously work on. But the important thing is to recognize that we do need to work on it, that we can't keep pushing it aside and expect things to really change for the good. If you're now feeling that call to try to change, let's talk about the why. Why is it worth it? What's on the other side? And I think one word really describes that, and Stephanie mentioned it too, is freedom. Freedom, you guys, it feels so good. It's freedom from fear. 
when that's let go of, there's so much more joy with food in general. I know a lot of people talk about how uh, food should only be viewed as fuel, but I actually feel like there needs to be a balance between looking at as fuel ways for you to help your body feel healthy and strong, but also as a big way to find joy in life. The more I enjoy my food, the more I embrace it, um, the easier it is to be balanced with it. And I think that came and has and can come for you with the freedom that has come from leaving the fear behind. Um, and as Stephanie and I both said, it does take time. It takes a lot of growth and willingness to keep trying, but being flexible with that trying, not beating yourself up when you have a bad day or two or a week with it, and just being willing to take part in the ebbs and flows of the process and being willing to, to grow richly and truly deeply, which often entails it just taking practice and more practice and more practice. Stephanie shares a little bit more about what the end goal can look like when we get there. I feel like for me, what my ultimate goal is for myself and what I feel like I'm a lot closer to than I used to be is feeling a sense of peace and freedom around food where I don't feel, um, and I was one of those people definitely who would swing back and forth between restriction and binging. I was definitely one of those chronic dieters. Um, and I think there's such a sense of fear when you're in that mindset of like, I'm never going to lose weight or I'm never going to be lovable or I'm never going to be who I'm supposed to be. Um, but now I don't feel that scarcity mentality anymore. I don't restrict myself with food. I don't have any food groups, um, that I say, I never eat this. Um, because I feel like that, that's a hard way to live. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but I think having a sense of freedom around food and, and saying, it's okay, I can eat what I want and I don't, I'm not trying to bandaid something deep inside with the food. I'm celebrating with food. Food is fun. Food is pleasurable. Food is not a place of oh my gosh, I need to control or I feel out of control. I think having a sense of self that is separate from food, that I'm no longer using food as a drug or as a weapon against myself. Um, food is just, it is what it is. It's, it's nourishing and it's fun and it absolutely should be, should be all those things and never, and, and it will be. I think that of course we have times where, food is hard and we are, we do use food. We do eat emotionally. We are emotional beings. And so it's okay. And I don't stress out anymore. And those times when I'm feeling emotional and I do turn to food, I allow that to be part of my journey towards healing around food. And, and I just am very accepting and and I'm very gentle with myself around food. And that has done more for me than any diet ever did. Just that one thing of, of I'm okay. And if, and if I eat this entire carton of ice cream, I'm still okay. I'm not, I'm not a bad person. And I think just giving myself that grace was huge in, in healing for me. And I think that's what I want for everyone else is just to have that sense of freedom and peace around food 
that it no longer has to be such a place of guilt and stress. Doesn't that sound worth it? And friends, it is. It is so worth the work. And maybe it won't take you 11 years like it's taken me to get to this point. And I can honestly say, though, it's not like 11 years of total um, H-E double hockey sticks in that regard. I, I've, I've had a lot of that freedom and joy along the way, too. Um, you can get there, too. That's what we're going to talk more about in part two next month, about the actual tangible hows of what you can do to change to more intuitive eating, um, which entails this freedom that Stephanie talked about um, after you've done the deep work of figuring out the why behind the struggle. Elizabeth Dahl will be back on the show next month to share her expertise in intuitive eating, which is a huge part of my own recovery. We also will have Amber Brzezicki back on the show. She's from Bicep after babies. She's going to talk about how flexible dieting or how um, uh, counting macros, it's also called, can be really helpful for people who need more help relearning about food and um, moderation with it and all food groups too. So that will be a very interesting episode and I hope you can come back for that and that will air next month. I want to thank Stephanie for taking the time she did to talk with me and for her incredible wisdom on this. I know both she and Elizabeth are so helpful in this regard. Definitely reach out to them if you feel like you would like some of their expertise in your personal life. Let's now turn to today's Do Something Highlight. Again, this is short for Do Something That Scares You, a campaign I started early on when I went back to, or when I was trying to blog way back when, a year ago, I guess, a year and a half ago. And I've been highlighting someone each month who is doing this exactly. So I've, I've been wanting my friend Libby on the show for a while. She's an incredible woman. She's been through some really hard things lately and throughout her life, but she chooses to have such a positive perspective on her trials. And in our chat together, we discuss how she came into art as an adult, how it's a big part of her self-expression and her identity and what she's doing with it, including how she's learned to be balanced about maybe a rat race that we could potentially jump into. So let's turn to Libby. So I wanted to hear how you began painting, if it's been a lifelong thing or if this is more of a recent outlet for you. Well, I I didn't really do a lot of art until I had to take an art class in high school because I wanted to take photography and then I was just a lot better than a lot of other people in my class. So I started taking art classes and then I took a couple in college, but I just picked a different major and then about 10 years, well, I guess about seven years later, I just started needing like um, an outlet. Like um, I had three kids at the time and I just needed like a little project to do. Yeah. And so I started pulling out the paints again and started doing projects for my friends as like gifts yeah. to save money. Oh yeah. Because my husband was in school. <laughs> really? So that's such a brilliant way to, to begin something. So like first you need an outlet and two you're being thrifty. I love that story. And then Yeah, actually that was a huge drive for a long time. Yeah. And still to this day I use it as wedding gifts like all the time. Well, so. I mean, you should be getting 
paid. I mean, that, I mean, I know you, you are now, you're doing more things on commission, but that as a wedding gift is like a really, really special gift. Like if I were on the receiving end of, of that, I would be thrilled. Your painting is beautiful. And it surprises me that you said you didn't really pick it up until high school and that you just happened to be really good at it. I mean, it's like this innate talent of yours that was left undiscovered for so long. Yeah, I mean, my dad said when he when I was little, he thought I would be an artist because I guess I colored a lot. But um, I'm really extroverted, so I w- didn't like I research a lot and listen to lots of interviews with artists, and a lot of times they seem well, not always, but sometimes they seem very introverted or the ones who like just draw all day by themselves, you know. Yeah. And I just like to go play, so I. I would do some and I really enjoyed it, but I'd move on. Well, I like that you're not the stereotype there too. So it just shows, you know, you don't have to like look the exact part to fit it. Um, so now you are, do, you were doing things for an Etsy shop for a while. So tell me about that. Oh yeah. So I started doing, um, watercolors, especially, um, trying to do some like religious art, like of LDS temples. Um, because I thought it might be a good market, but it became really like stressful and unfulfilling um, to just try and like produce art for other people that mm. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of I don't really do that. I use that mostly to like sell something to someone, like have a like you know to help me with my business. But I do do a lot of. I do a lot of commissions still, and sometimes I have them pay me through that. As they should. But I, I like that, I don't know, there's so much pressure, I think, these days to as moms to have, a, like, a huge hobby that makes you a lot of money, and that basically becomes, you know, a part-time to full-time job, at least on the side. And I like that you had the... Um, you know, the soundness of mind to know yourself and that this wasn't bringing you the same amount of joy and to tailor it to what was meeting your needs instead of what maybe other people would kind of push you to do. Oh, yeah. I I really sense that, like, that drive, like, all because you have a talent and are good at something, like, you should make it into a business and make money off it, like, and have a market. But that um I think that is like does work for some people but it just was not like fulfilling like I've had to learn how to do art for me mm-hmm. and for others like a good balance and like boundaries and how much to charge yeah. and how much you know it makes it worth my time mm-hmm. so how did you learn how to paint that I mean you've taken a few classes but you're largely self-taught so how does one uh, teach themselves how to paint (laughs) that is such a good question so I have a really good foundation in drawing so that helps a lot and knowing the principles of you know shading rounded objects or square objects and um so I have that experience But I mostly, so I would study colors a lot. So I I would get books from the library or I bought a few books. And colors and mixing colors is extremely difficult. Like Mm. if you think about like picking the right neutral color to paint on your wall, you know, like a white or a gray or tan. Mm -hmm. So like 
you have to learn how to like have those subtleties of colors where it doesn't look fake or hmm. you know there's a you can tell like an amateur when they're painting mountains they'll just put like straight white on for the snow but like I've learned like you it has to be tinted just right so it doesn't like stand out in the wrong way to get those whites right oh, stuff yeah. like that I wonder so, if you've even thought of that so, particular example that makes yeah. total sense well though. color coloring is huge and I still remember yeah it's a lot of just practice they call it putting like miles on the canvas like they mm. say everyone has at least a hundred it's either like a hundred or a thousand it's probably a hundred terrible paintings in them and <laughs> like <laughs> yeah <laughs> tons of terrible paintings that's kind that of you will, that you never see. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's so true for so. I mean, everything, right? Anything you get good at, it's going to be really terrible for a, a long time. So it's got to be that way with painting yeah. too. So, and but I heard you say that you also listen to like interviews with artists. Is that another way you've studied your craft? Yeah, they always have little tips on what helps them or how they have learned or what they've studied. And it was almost like art therapy because you'd hear mm. them talk about their struggles because it's really common oh, to, like, yeah. have low spots, you know, like, mm -hmm. of creativity. Like, you're going high and then, like, suddenly, like, you're not interested in painting anything and, like, everything you feel like you do is terrible. I mean, you just learn, like, what's kind of normal and then you can kind of, like, move through that. Oh, so that's cool. Where, where are some good resources for someone who um, is curious about these interviews, but also um, maybe some of, I, I don't know if you know any of those books off the top of your head, but if, if you have any, that would be great. Oh, yeah. Um, there's this podcast called Plain Air Pod, um, I think it's just if you type in Plain Air Podcast, yeah. and it's Plain air painting is like when you go outside and paint like landscapes. And, yes. Um, it's, yeah. So he, that's a really fun one. He, he also has a magazine. And then I also listen to this podcast called Artists Helping Artists. And she's really good with art marketing. Oh, like, yeah. That's her focus. Like how to sell, how to organize your studio, like tips. And that one's really fun to listen to because it's usually like, she reminds me of my mom. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness. You've opened up like a whole new world to me. Like a whole, you know, that sounds so fascinating. I'm probably going to listen to those myself, even though I don't paint. And, and was there any other suggestions you would have for someone um, who, you know, has the, a, at least some signs of a gift or desire to cultivate it somewhere? Oh, you know, I also have to say I use Pinterest a lot. Mm -hmm. I copy paintings a lot. And I've also used YouTube a lot, like, because, like, to practice, if I needed, I'm like, how do I paint a tree? Because you forget how to do bushes that look good. And yeah. so I'll YouTube, I'll type in how to paint a tree or how to paint a bush. And there'll be a few samples and I can, that it's like awesome. a refresher. Because they're, yeah, or, you know, um, so there's a lot of bad art on yes. YouTube, but there is some good stuff. Oh, so yeah. it's hard to find. Yes. But, but you can yeah, find I it. would, I would just, yeah, I obviously like you, I, I think I underestimate how important it is to have like good, a good drawing background hmm. because there is like specific technique to just, 
drawing like a ball, you know, mm. there's like a course, like the different shadows. Yes. There's, there are places, it's almost like a math problem. Like you just, mm. it's like the same every time where certain shadows go. So. Okay. Well, this is awesome, Libby. If someone is interested in your art, and I do have to say, I think people should totally check you out because it, it really is amazing what you do. Um, where can they find you? Oh, I I have a Instagram page, Libby Deb, and I occasionally post things that are for sale on there <laughs> if yeah. they're interested. Great. Thanks, Libby. Isn't it fun how much you can learn from someone, even if you don't have the same gift or interest as them? I, I really did enjoy that chat with Libby and just how she did it so intentionally working on her craft and that we can do the same thing with whatever we want to do. So thank you again, Libby, for taking the time. And if you'd like to nominate someone to be highlighted on an episode, someone who is doing something that scares them, please email me at packerprogress at gmail.com. You can also nominate someone to be on the show or just share some feedback with me there. Next Wednesday, I have another incredible interview for you. Let's keep it a surprise, shall we? And In other words, that means I'm trying to debate between two different um, interviews. (laughs) So thank you again for your incredible support. I will see you next week. And until then, take care of yourself.